Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Take your Bible, your tablet, your phone, your app, whatever you choose. Our kids are going to go to their class right now. Thank you, Casey. And let's give our kids a hand. Let's give Casey a hand. Let's thank God for the great, great ministry and love that we have for our kids. Praise God. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. And Sharon is going to read the passage for us this morning. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father, Terah, was still living. Meanwhile, Abraham and Nahor both uh, married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother, Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son, Abram, his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abram's wife, and his grandson, Lot, his son, Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed, as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in a hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Amen. Thank the Lord for his word today. Praise the Lord. We have been learning through these sections and these passages as we have been walking through Genesis uh, that we were created for community. We were created for community. But what's, what's the meaning of the word community? Well, we talk about how we live in communities. We work in communities. Our church is a community. We have communities of small groups within our church community because that's the way we were made. And it's more healthy to live in relationships than it is to live in isolation. That's not healthy at all. It's how God created us. Our families are actually small communities. Some communities are considered to be, quote, unquote, great places to live. You've heard of that? Oh, come on. Our community is a great place to live. A community is a group of people who hold some things in common unity. That's how that's where we get the word community from, common unity. So a community holds some things in common 
unity, common interests. We're here today because we have a common interest. Some communities have common hobbies, a common focus, a common purpose, a common family or work or faith or life. But there are challenges. There are challenges to communities because we're all people and we're all flawed people. And for all that we hold in common, we're simply different. We are different. Even my wife and I, we are different. My kids are different. We, 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 for all the things that we hold in common, we're different. We have different opinions on certain things. We have different interests. We have different ideas of purpose and focus. So how can we successfully face the challenges that come with living in community? How can we face the challenges that come so that we can experience the rewards God wants us to have for creating us to be people of relationship and community. So we're learning through these sections of Genesis that God wants us to be committed to community. And we have seen so far through the true story of Noah and the flood, that is an encouragement to us to live a righteous life in the midst of our sinful culture needed now more than ever. We need to live a righteous life in the midst of our sinful culture as Noah did. We learned last week from the story of the Tower of Babel that pride destroys but purpose brings unity you're going to be hearing that word pride a lot this month but the word of god has already taught us pride destroys but purpose brings unity so now we get to genesis chapter 12 and we see one of the greatest callings to leadership in all of scripture in all of time the call of abram and there are three streams, you guys know this, three streams of religious thought and practice trace their roots back to Abraham. The Jewish people, the Islamic people, Christianity all refer to Abraham as Father Abraham. And the call of Abram and his response to that call teaches us about leadership in our communities. Leadership in our communities. Abraham becomes the central character of the book of Genesis. We're going to talk about Abraham for several weeks to come and then we're going to split off this fall and i've got another direction i feel the lord's laid on my heart for the fall but when we come back to genesis again we're still going to be talking about abraham abraham is the guy in the book of genesis even as we have seen through the story of noah through the story of the tower of babel it's that same way with abraham secular historians non-religious non-christian historians and those who study world history, not from a religious point of view, they all recognize Abraham as one of the key figures of human history. Not just biblical history, not just religious history. Abraham is considered by all to be a key figure of human history. The reality of the life of Abraham is not questioned. It's not questioned. And we have here the origins of his story that Sharon has read to us. Abraham began a migration of people from the area of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, into the area of the Mediterranean. And, you know, we always know that communities need leadership. Without leadership, communities turn into chaos. We are blessed. We are so blessed at Camden First Assembly with great leadership in this church. There are members of our church family who are also looked upon as great leaders in our community. So we are doubly blessed in this church family. But listen to me. You are a leader. You might have heard those last two statements. Well, I'm not a leader in the church. Well, I'm not a leader in the community. Thank God. for You are a leader. You say, well, pastor, aren't there spiritual gifts? And you've talked about spiritual gifts, and there's a gift of leadership. I don't know if I have the gift of leadership. Even if you don't have the gift of leadership, you're a leader. 
How, pastor? How? You might not hold a position. You might not be recognized. You might not have a title. But listen, whenever you are in relationships with other people, and I know every person in this place well enough to know that you're in a relationship with somebody, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friend, whether it's a small group, or just the person you're sitting beside in church today, you're in a relationship with somebody, and through any relationship you have influence, even if you're not trying to, even if you're not focused on it, it can be just haphazard, accidental, secondary influence. It just happens. When we are in relationships with other people, we have influence with them, and influence is leadership. Influence is leadership. Leadership is influence. So everyone is influencing someone. You are influencing someone, either for good or for bad, even when we do nothing and say nothing, that's influence. That's a level of influence. So Abraham was a great leader. So what we want to see from this passage today, what does Abraham teach us about the power of influence and leadership? This is what came to me as I was studying this passage. What Abraham teaches us about the power of influence and leadership. And I want to give you four principles from this text, four principles of influence and leadership that I see from the beginning of Abraham's story that applies to each one of you because you're in a relationship, you've got influence. First, obedient faith is a powerful influence. Obedient faith is a powerful influence. Sharon read in the first verse of chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. God called Abram to leave, and Abram left. Boom, he obeyed. He obeyed in faith. He did what God called him to do. When God calls you to go someplace, you need to go. Maybe hard, might not be easy, but when God calls you, you need to go. Way back in 1984, almost 40 years ago now, God called me to a place called Bell Fountain, Ohio. I was single. I was 20 years old. I was straight out of college. How do you like that picture right there? That was the property. We got property. That property was given to us. The busiest highway in the county. It was given to us free and clear. There's a church building there today. They've added on to that church building. They've added on to that property. God called me to go there. It wasn't easy. I remember I was driving through. Dad was in the passenger seat of my little red Chevette with vinyl seats and no air conditioning. Hotter in that car than it is in this sanctuary this morning. It was hot. And I'm 20 years old. And I looked over at Dad. We're looking for an apartment for me to live. And I looked at Dad. I said, this is crazy. And he said, are you having second thoughts? I said, no, but this is crazy. And it was hard. And Sharon wasn't with me at that time. I was single. It was difficult. And then God called me to go to the Philippines. And on the way to the Philippines, I met my wife. And so here we are. I'm preaching a crusade in the Philippines where we're planting a church. I'm preaching through an interpreter. And we had our child who now has three children of her own. She has a little baby. That's, that's the mother of the new baby right there in between Sharon and I in the Philippines. That was hard. That was difficult. But I met Sharon on the way. I had already left Bell Fountain. I was already on my way to the Philippines. And I met Sharon on the way. I didn't want to go by myself. That's why three weeks after I met her, I asked her to marry me. Three months later, we got married. We were in the Philippines in time for our first wedding anniversary, celebrate our wedding anniversary at the same hotel where General MacArthur had his headquarters in the Philippines. And nine months later, the girl came. So I met her there. There were hardships. It was a difficult year. We had doors slammed shut in our face, culture issues, language issues, but mostly it just seemed like everything was a no to us. Doors were closed, but we still ministered. We did a lot of work, and then God called us to go back to Indianapolis. 
Just like Abraham, when God says, get up and go, get up and go. So we came back from the Philippines. We went to Indianapolis. This is a daycare center. This is where we started the church. We met in the lobby of the daycare center. We couldn't set up more than uh, 90 chairs. There were Sundays we had standing room only. They wouldn't let us use a couple of classrooms for classes, but they wouldn't let us use an even larger room. We were just stuck in the lobby, I think, for three and a half years. And so we couldn't really average more than 70 because we couldn't set up more than 90 folding chairs. But again, the Lord gave us tremendous property on the interstate. The church is still there today. And uh, after that, God called me to serve churches throughout the state of Indiana. Sharon did not want to do that. We were 10 years pastoring this church in Indianapolis, and God was blessing, and God was doing great things. It had grown to about 245, 250 people, and the Lord called me to go serve in the office across the state of Indiana, and Sharon didn't want to do it. But like Sarah, Abraham came home, and he said, honey, the Lord said go, and so Sarah went with Abraham, and so Sharon went. And then after three years of doing that, God called us to our hometown. So we went back to our hometown, and we pastored the church that I had grown up in. We pastored the church that we got married in. We, we, we built extra buildings. God did great and wonderful things there, and we were there for 16 years. There were, there were hardships there, that scripture where Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. I found out what that meant, you know, because for some people, I was always just little Randy, this not-nosed kid who was in the nursery years and years and years before. Uh, for some, they gave me great respect. For others, they gave me very little respect. And for some, they absolutely just openly rebelled against us. But that's how it is everywhere, right? So it was difficult. And then finally, God called us here. God called us here a little over two years ago. But here's the thing. We would not be here if we had not obeyed the other calls. We would not be here if we had not obeyed the other calls. If we had missed just one call when the Lord said, get up and go here, get up and go there. Get up and go to this place. If we had missed just one call, we would not be here. Or at least we would not be bringing with us the full influences of the experiences that we have had. If God calls someone to civic leadership, they need to obey. How many know we've got enough corrupt politicians? We need leaders who know Jesus and follow Jesus. Something very interesting. Recently, I've had the opportunity to become a friend to the press secretary of a governor. Interestingly enough, that particular governor is now a candidate for the president of the United States. And I'm friends with his press secretary. I don't know if God has a purpose for that friendship. I think he must have a purpose for that friendship. Now, I don't know if the governor has a personal relationship with Jesus, but I know his press secretary does. I know his press secretary knows Jesus and witnesses to taxi drivers openly when he's in the taxi cab with him. We need people in leadership who have relationships with Jesus. We need followers of Jesus in these places of influence. So if God says, go, we go. If God calls you to serve publicly, then serve. I served on a local school board for four years. When my kids were in high school, I served on the school board. A lot of that wasn't fun. A lot of that wasn't, I had no interest in it, but I wanted to keep the school as much on a moral course as I possibly could. If God calls you to serve in a leadership position at your workplace, don't shy away from that. Do what God is calling you to do. Don't miss it. Now, I know some people don't want to be leaders. Pastor, I don't want to be a leader. I don't want the burden. I don't want the responsibility. Well, join the club. I was called to preach, okay? 15 years old, I was called to preach. Pastoring, yeah, I'm called to do that too, but pastoring is the office and the method and the 
the mode through which I get the opportunity to, to do what I was called to do. Mostly, I'm called to preach and teach the word of God. Do I enjoy the burden and the responsibility that comes with shepherding and pastoring the flock? To be honest with you, I don't. I don't know many people who do. Burdens aren't fun. Responsibilities aren't fun. But you say yes to the call. And if God calls you to a position, to a place of leadership, if he opens a door of opportunity to you, don't shy away from it just because it's going to be difficult. And don't shy away from it just because you don't know where it's going to lead because Abraham didn't know where it was going to lead. We need to make sure it's God. But if it's God, step out in obedient faith and God will enable you to lead. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. God's the one that gives the strength to do the work. God considered me trustworthy, Paul said, and he appointed me to serve him. The same will be true for you. God will enable you to do what he calls you to do. You may not see it in the beginning, but that's where faith comes in. I wasn't qualified to be a pastor when I was 20 years old, but God opened the door and put me there, and then he provides, and you grow in it. Was Abram called to be a great leader? Well, let's think about it. Abram grew up surrounded by temples of sensuous idol worship. That resume wouldn't look good on a, on a pastor's resume. Likely, his family and maybe even Abram himself participated in demonic worship before God called him. And again, we see secular, non-religious Non-biblical history that verifies this biblical story. The false worship in Abram's hometown had such a grip on the people that there have been tombs discovered. And in these tombs, there are as many as 60 to 80 skeletal remains of escorts, guards, musicians, retainers who marched into the extensive death pit and died sacrificial deaths so that they might accompany their king or their queen into the afterlife. That's the culture Abram grew up in. That's the culture he lived in well into adulthood. Their homes had idols in various niches in the walls. These things have been found. Yeah, these were not ignorant people, okay? The city of Ur had many commercial buildings. Abram's hometown had numerous two-story homes with courts, fountains, fireplaces, sanitary systems. For an early civilization, they were an extremely prosperous business center. Ships came from the Persian Gulf to Ur, bringing all kinds of products. There were school buildings with clay books showing they taught reading and writing and arithmetic and grammar and history. Archaeology shows us that these people even supported their false worship with a tithe of their income. Isn't that interesting? Pastor, I don't believe in the tithe. Pastor, I don't think I can give that much. Pastor, I don't have faith for that much. People who worshiped demons paid tithes. I think Jesus, I think we can obey Jesus in that. Hello? I, 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 think, God, I think God will bless us in that if the demonic idol worshipers in Abraham's time even gave their tithes. And God called Abram out of this place called him to leave this demonic culture abram didn't have the qualifications but god would give abraham everything he needed to lead jesus walked by fishermen he just walked by follow me and he kept walking 
The picture the scripture gives us is Jesus just kept walking. Walks by Matthew's tax collection book. Follow me. And he kept walking. You see, the scripture says they left their nets immediately and followed him. Matthew left his tax collection booth immediately and followed him. When God calls, if we don't immediately respond to that call, we might miss what God wants to do in our lives. If those disciples didn't jump and go, they would have missed God's plan. The world would have missed God's plan. We wouldn't have the, apostles, the epistles of Peter. We wouldn't have the, 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 the scriptures that are given to us from John and from, from Matthew. If we don't step out in obedient faith when God calls. Listen to me now. If we don't step out in obedient faith when God calls, not only will we miss God's plan, the world could miss God's plan. Our city could miss God's plan. Our community could miss God's plan. We are the ones who have to respond. So God saw Abram's heart like Jesus saw the disciples' hearts, and they had hearts to obey. So do we have a heart to obey God's calling in faith? Step out and do what he's calling us to do. There's something, there's something that God is calling some of you to do, and you need to just obey. Second, trusting God's promises is a powerful influence. Obedient faith and then trusting God's promises. Verses 2 and 3 of Genesis chapter 12, God said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you, Abram. Now, at this point, Abram doesn't even know where his physical journey is going to take him. He doesn't know what land he's going to. There's no GPS. God just says, get up and go, and I'll tell you when to stop. But he knew where the spiritual journey was going to take him. God said, I'll make you into a great nation. That's happened. And beyond that, we are children of Abraham. Paul tells us in Romans, we've been grafted into the family. We are children of Abraham. We're part of the people of God. The natural, the natural descendants and children of Abraham are still blessed. The nation of Israel is an incredibly blessed nation. Their agriculture systems are amazing. Scientific discoveries and medical discoveries have come out of Israel that have been wonders to the world because of the blessing of God. And those who bless Israel are blessed. And I believe that's pretty much been a key source of the blessing of the United States. We have been pretty much their only friend through most of their years of existence. God help us if we don't continue to be their friend because what God said is still true. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. The United States of America no longer deserves to be blessed for our righteousness, does it? We don't deserve to be blessed for our righteousness, but we do send the gospel around the world. And we have supported Israel, so these ancient words are still coming to pass today. Even in our sin and our ungodliness, we're being blessed for being a blessing to Israel. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. So trusting God's promise is a powerful influence. So just think for a minute. What do you believe God has called you to do? Calling is not just for pastors. Calling is not just for ministers. Calling is for everybody. What do you believe God has called you to do even now at this stage of your life? What is the calling and purpose of God upon your life. Influence in your family, maybe? Are you trusting God for results that he's promised for you and your family? Maybe in our community, is God calling you to do something beyond your family, beyond the church? Is God calling you to do something in the community or in our church? Are we trusting God for his promises? Are we trusting God for the results and the blessings that he's promised to us? Here's something that God says of us. It's an extension of the promise he gave to Abram. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9. You are not like that. You, 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 you. This is written to you. You are a chosen people. You, you're royal priests. 
That's a double whammy there. You're both royal and priests. You. You are a holy nation. You're part of God's holy nation. You are God's very own possession. You are. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God because you're chosen, because you're royal priests, because you're part of this holy nation, because you are God's very own possession. You can show others the goodness of God. That's your calling. That's your calling. That's your purpose. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So he wants to use you to be a leader and to be an influence to call others. Just do what he tells you to do like Abram. And Abram was no longer like the people of Ur. He left. He's no longer like them. And so we are no longer like the community we came from. The church is a new community. The church is a community of faith. The church is a community of changed people. A community of faith that believes in forgiveness and restoration. And that God will keep his word to us. I want you to contrast two verses of scripture. Look at Genesis chapter 12 verse 2. And Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Look at the contrast between these two. This is Genesis 12, 2. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I, God, will make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. Contrast that with Genesis eleven four. 4. This is back from the story of the Tower of Babel that we talked about last week. They said, the people said, come let us build a great city for ourselves for ourselves, for us, for our glory, for our fame, with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous. See, the contrast is, are we going to work for our own fame, or are we going to let God be the one who makes us famous? You try to work for your own fame, you try to work for your own purpose, you try to work for your own plans, the tower's going to come crumbling down. But if you just obey God and obey His calling and step out in faith, then God will make you famous the way He wants you to make you famous. Which side of that contrast do we live on? Our answer to that question affects our community. All the communities we live in. School, church, neighborhood, every family. Every community we're in is affected by this question. What side of this contrast are we living on? Are we living for our own name and our own fame? Are we living for God? What about that word famous? What does that mean? It means, it means more than just the way we think of fame today. The word famous means to make large, to advance, to exceed, increase, lift up, magnify, and nourish. This is, God, this is what God wants to do in our communities. Every community, family, church, neighborhood, city. He wants to make us large. He wants to advance us. He wants to make us excellent. He wants to lift us up and nourish, up, nourish us. That's what he says when he says, I want to make you famous. And I believe that as we lift up Jesus, then God will lift us up. We, listen, we do not strive to make the name of Camden First Assembly famous. That's not our goal. But if we obey God's calling on all of our lives in faith, He will make us known everywhere He wants to. And everyone to whom He wants to make us known. So ultimately, it's for the blessing of others. Again, all the world will be blessed through you, he said to Abram. And now we're his children, spiritually, in Romans. We're part of Abram's descendants. He will bless the world 
through us. So we're to step out in faith and believe God so that others can receive the blessing that haven't received it yet. That's the influence we're talking about. That's the influence God wants all of us to have. That's the influence he wants you to have. We don't exist. Listen, we don't exist for those who are already here. We love you. We, we want you to grow. We want to be a blessing to you. We want to be a blessing to one another. But we don't exist solely for those of us who are already here. We exist for those who are not yet here. Camden First Assembly exists for the people. Has anybody ever noticed there's not nearly as much traffic on the streets on Sunday mornings? Now, the absence of road rage is a little bonus and a plus to that. But the fact of the matter is, most people aren't going anywhere. They're in church. Number of people who go to church is in declining. We exist for people who aren't here yet so that they can come to know God, so that they can find the freedom we found, so that they can discover their purpose, and so they can make a difference in their own families and communities. That's why we exist. Third, sacrifice leads to greater influence. Sacrifice leads to greater influence. Genesis 12, 4 through 7. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed when they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abram offered his sacrifice to the Lord. Can I tell you something? Every time God asks for a sacrifice, it has to be the best. That's the pattern of Scripture. That's the teaching of Scripture. Every time God asks for a sacrifice, it has to be the best. If it is not the best, it's not a sacrifice. How can it be a sacrifice if it's not the best? So I'm going to ask a question. It's not meant to inspire feelings of guilt. It's simply meant for us to examine ourselves. If we're not here examining ourselves the way the Apostle Paul told us to, then what are we here for? We've got to be here for more than just a feel-good hour. You guys know that. When's the last time you made a sacrifice for the Lord? Think about it. When's the last time you really made a sacrifice for the Lord? Now, for some of you, that, that could come to mind immediately. It's just, it's just been recently. And you know, I, yep, I did it. He, he called me to. Yes, I made that sacrifice. Maybe it's even happening right now. There's probably people among us right now. You're making sacrifices that God has called you to make but for some of you maybe it's been a long time maybe it's hard to come up with when when is the last time that i really made a sacrifice to the lord and and maybe you say well pastor i really haven't heard the lord say anything to me have you stopped long enough to be quiet to listen to what he might ask for we're so busy we even rush through our devotional times if we get a chance to have, can we stop and be quiet and listen? If, 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 if you can't think of something the Lord has asked you to sacrifice, if you can't think of something you've done, we need to get before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me? What do you want from me? I'll give it. I'll give it because, Lord, you've given everything to me. Whatever struggles and difficulties I have, I am blessed. If we can't think of a recent th sacrifice, I, th I think we need to stop and listen God does ask hard things of us sometimes because he wants us to grow. He wants our faith to grow. That's why. But here's the thing. A friend of mine by the name of E.M. Clark, I'll never forget something he said. He said, God's got a bigger shovel than we've got. So, so 
in his mind, sacrifice to our way of thinking is never a real sacrifice because given it shall be given to you. Not just finances, but anything. Give, whatever, give, and it shall be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God's going to pour it into your lap. So how can it be a sacrifice when God's shovel is bigger than ours? So what we think of as a sacrifice when God first asks it is not really a sacrifice because he's going to pour back even more blessing into our lap. Abraham was sacrificing an animal, which was very important at that time. It was meat. It was supply. It was reproduction. It was, it was valuable. But Abraham would receive a great deal more than even multiple animals given back to him. He would receive a relationship with God like nobody else had. Whatever God asks us to sacrifice, he will make the return much bigger. And he will make our relationship with him even stronger. And it doesn't always happen in this life. I am not looking for all the results of any sacrifice I make in this life. I'm not looking for some cha-ching, you know, slot machine gospel where you put in whatever God asks you to put in. You pull the arm and God pours out blessings on you right now. No, there's going to be blessings in the next life that I can't even dream of. So we need to understand that. I, 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 don't, I don't really care, to be honest with you. I don't care a whole lot about the rewards in the next life. I just want him. I just want him. I just want Jesus. I want his approval on my life. I want his pleasure in my life. I want to know the nearness of his heart, and I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. So I'm going to listen. I'm going to get quiet. I'm going to pause, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to listen. I'm going to say, Lord, what do you want from me? You called Abraham, you called the disciples, you've been calling people through all these years and centuries and millennia. Lord, what's your call in my life? What's your plan for my life? I'm going to stop, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to attempt to respond no matter what the sacrifice may be. It hasn't been easy for us to move from place to place as often as we have it. And some people kind of look down on that because some people stay at the same church for 36, 40 years. God bless them. That's wonderful. That's awesome if that's what God's called them to do. And I, I, I thought that might be a great thing for me. But God has called us to pick up and move from time to time. We've obeyed and we've been blessed in ways that we could never imagine being blessed. Finally, influencers are worshipers. Influencers are worshipers. Genesis 12, verse 8. After that, Abraham... Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar. He built another altar dedicated to the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. Abram was a builder of altars. Everywhere he went, he built an altar. Everywhere he went, he stopped and made a sacrifice. Are you a worshiper? You don't have to be a singer who sings on key. If you're a worshiper, you're just going to sing. You don't have to be on a platform. You don't have to have a position. You don't have to play an instrument. You'll do more than sing. You'll make your life a gift of worship to God. Because when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. So I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. 
It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. King of endless worth. No one could ever express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and I'm poor, everything I have is yours. Every single breath, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And I'm sorry, Lord, and we are sorry, Lord, for the thing that we've made it. For it's all about you. When you become a worshiper, people will notice. They'll notice. Even if your worship is here on Sunday morning, you worship in your home before you go out during the day, the presence of God will be noticeable in your life. Sweet-smelling savor of the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit will be noticeable in your life. Your very life, just the way you live and react and your attitude naturally becomes the fruit of the Spirit. You become naturally supernatural because you have been in the presence of Jesus. Some of you have experienced loss in your life. You've had family members you've lost, spouses. And that changes our lives. Because being in a relationship makes us a certain kind of person. Losing that relationship changes us. And it's the same that if we have a deep relationship with Jesus, we're simply going to be different people than if we're without Jesus. Or if we let our relationship with Jesus drift. And he's there. He's waiting in the old familiar place. but We've neglected it. We've been busy, we've been tired, we've been focused on other things. And so our very life and the opportunity we have to be an influence just by the way we live our lives and react to the situations around us is different than if we are with Jesus. Genesis chapter 21 verse 22, about this time, Abimelech came with Phicol, his army commander, to visit Abram and said, God, this is what, this is what a wicked leader said to Abraham. God is obviously with you, helping you in everything you do. Don't you want people to say that about you? God is with you. You know, you know what we have to do to get God to be with us? We have to be with God. Spend time with God, and you'll go around, people say, God's with you. He'll give you wisdom on the job. He'll give you wisdom in your family. He'll give you insight when you have questions. And listen, Abram wasn't perfect. Oh, boy, are we going to find that out as we keep walking through this story? Abram was not even close to being perfect. Verses 10 through 20 of chapter 12. We're not going to go deeply into that this week. But in verses 10 to 20, his faith faltered. He gave in to fear. He lived dishonestly. But in spite of that, not because of it, but in spite of it, God protected him and God led him out. Listen, if you are in a place where your faith is faltering, that's a dangerous place to be. Move on. Move on. God can get you out. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. A city designed and built by God. The ultimate result ain't even going to be here. 
Not in this building, not in this town, not in your home, not in this place. The ultimate result's going to be in another place. That's the place we're looking for. Influence on this side so that we can take more with us to the other side. So what does Abraham teach us about the power of influence and leadership? He teaches us that obedient faith is a powerful influence. He teaches us that trusting God's promises is a powerful influence. Sacrifice leads to greater influence, and influencers are worshipers. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I believe God calls us for response. I believe the word of God calls us to response. And I believe when we step out and respond, God does something in our lives. So I think I I want to call you to respond today. And there's four areas I want you to think about. I want to share those with you and then then I'll go through them again one by one. I just want you to come. We're not trying to manipulate anybody or... Nothing like that. Just, just respond. So here's, here's four areas I believe God's calling us to respond in. First, is God calling you to move? Maybe not physically, but in your faith walk. In your faith walk, do you need to move? Have you been stuck? Have you been stuck in one spot in your faith walk? Have you, have you maybe even drifted backwards? God's calling you to move today like he called Abram to move. Second, is God asking you to do something in total faith? Total faith. If he's not, ask God to give you something. Ask God to ask you to do something that you think is impossible. That's a scary thing to ask of God, isn't it? But go ahead, see what he'll say. Third, third, are you still believing a promise God gave you in the past? Are you still believing a promise that God gave you in the past? Or has that promise begun to fade and your faith for that promise is beginning to fade? Have you faltered in your faith like Abraham even when he let fear get in the way? And then finally, are you worshiping? Are you a worshiper throughout your life regardless of your feelings? Feelings can't drive our worship, folks. We've got to worship him for who he is, not for how we feel. So do you need to return to a life of worship beyond the Sunday morning hour? You need to return to a life of worship. So let's respond. First, if God's calling you to move in your faith walk, you need to move. You've been stuck or you've drifted backwards. God's calling you to press on and move forward in your faith walk. Just come. Just come. God wants to do something in your life. Got to respond. We got to respond. God is calling you to move. God's spoken to your heart this morning. Thank you. Let's respond to the Lord. Second, is God asking you to do something in total faith? And if not, are you willing to ask God to give you something? Step out. Step out right now. God is asking you to do something in total faith or else you don't have the answer to that question. And really, it's kind of scary and exciting at the same time. (laughs) It's kind of scary and exciting at the same time. Number three, are you here today and you are still believing for a promise God gave you in the past? You're still believing for a promise God gave you in the past. Maybe it's begun to fade. Maybe your faith for it's begun to fade. Maybe you faltered in your faith and let fear get in the way. Praise the Lord. Finally, are you worshiping? Are you worshiping throughout your life? Are you a worshiper? Regardless of your feelings, do you need to, do you need to go deeper in the presence of God and worship beyond this hour in your daily life? You need to... You need to Draw closer to the Lord and let him draw closer to you. Come. Come. Praise the Lord.
we're just going to begin to pray. I just want you to begin to open your hands to the Lord. Just open your hands to the Lord to receive what He wants you to receive. Prayer team members, I want you to come. Prayer team members, some of our prayer team members are up here already, so we need all of our... If you're a small group leader, come. If you're a deacon, come. And if you're a prayer team member, come. And let's believe God for each one of these results. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Turn the music up a little bit, Ken, and let's pray. And let's believe God for each one of these today.
and you do not know that you're in a right relationship with Jesus, or if you are convicted of sin in your life and you need to return to your relationship with Jesus, I just invite you to pray with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you are God. I confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess I've done wrong. And I ask for your forgiveness, and I receive your forgiveness, Lord. Bring new life in me. Make me a new creature, Lord. I want to follow after you. Lead me, guide me, direct me in every way. In Jesus' name. If you're praying that prayer today for the first time or the first time in a long time, let us know on that card. If you're a guest today, let us know on that card. We want to get better acquainted with you. We love you. Thank you. We thank God for what he's doing in our church. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome day. Continue to be in prayer for our teens as they go to camp over these, these, these next few days. We love you. Have an awesome day. God bless each and every one of you.